0: I don't suppose anybody noticed, but I sit in the middle anymore, because this old building is so old, and if you've been down in the basement and saw what I've seen, you don't want to be sitting at the back, because you're going to one day go (laughs) totally down, or if you're in the front, you're going to go totally up. (laughs) I'm kind of neutral, I just sit there in the middle. How can God be right in forgiving sins? In Hebrews 9 and verse 22, he makes it very clear, it says, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. fact is that we're conscious of our transgressions. Each one of us are. We sleep with them every night as we ponder them during the day. Even. And we have difficulty understanding how God is right to forgive it. I've talked to men who've made the statement, I'm too wicked for God to forgive me. And so it's a very... Uh, Challenging question, how is God right in forgiving sins? Because you see, in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1, the text says, The judge shall uh, shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And yet in Proverbs 17, verse 15, it presents it the other way. It says, He that justifieth the wicked... And condemneth the righteous is an abomination to Jehovah. And so again, how is God right in forgiving sins? (coughs) Let me illustrate this with a story. I'll use myself in it. I pull a gun and shoot somebody. The police comes. He said, why'd you do that, Pearl? I, he was bothering me. I just didn't like him. And so the policeman says, okay, I'll, I'll overlook it this time. Just don't do it again. Now, you know that ain't going to float. You know that I need to be condemned for what i done. Well, he, let's suppose that he took me before the judge. And the judge leans out and looks at me over his desk. Uh, and he says, Myrtle, why did you shoot that fellow? He was bothering me. I just didn't like him. And the judge says, well, the court will overlook it this time. Just don't do it again. Now, we know that the judge has to condemn. He must condemn. And so, again, how is God right in forgiving our sins? And so, I think you can see the story here that God's reputation is at stake. How is God right in forgiving mine and your sins? Well, let's begin in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul presents his thesis that he will deal with all the way through the book of Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for therein, wherein? In verse 16 in the gospel. For therein is contained a righteousness of God, a righteousness from God, and is to be enjoyed on the basis of faith, not works, faith. And then Paul proves it in the last statement of verse 17 as he says, for the Old Testament says in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, not by works. I think it would be good if we studied for a moment or looked at uh, the brief picture of four righteousnesses that the Bible declares, four kinds of righteousnesses uh, that's presented in Scripture. First of all, there's God's own righteousness. Now that's what He is by nature. 1 John, just one passage, 1 John one five. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And so, this passage is not talking about God's own personal righteousness here. When He said in, John, in Romans 1.17, Therein is contained a righteousness from God on the basis of faith. And so there's four kinds of righteousnesses and we can see that this is not talking about God's own personal righteousness. That's what he is by nature. And secondly, there's, the Bible teaches the fact of the righteousness of Christ as a man. <coughs> His righteousness was by performance. His was a, a totally earned Righteousness. Uh, There was no grace uh, in his moral excellence. He was perfect. And that's not the righteousness that's being discussed here. Thirdly, there's the righteousness of a child. Romans 7, verse 9, Paul said, Before the law came, I was alive. And we know that little children are born into this world innocent. They have a righteousness about them. But it doesn't last long. They have a morally and spiritually righteous before God. But it's an untested righteousness. It had not been put to the test yet. Uh, And it's not going to last. Because when it's put to the test, it fails every single time. Romans 3.23, Paul said it does. He said for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Because of the fact that that little child is put to the test, he's answering to God, and he's uh, uh, deciding who he's going to walk through life and into eternity with. And then lastly, there's a righteousness that this verse talks about. It says a righteousness. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you at all. For therein, <coughs> wherein in the gospel is contained a righteousness. Now what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Paul said, I declared unto you uh, uh, that which is uh, of first importance. How that Christ died according to the scriptures that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. What's the gospel? It entails the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And the significance is found in verse 17 of Romans 1. It, there is this a-righteousness that came from God out of this gospel. The gospel contains a-righteousness from God. Now we've seen it's not God's righteousness, it's not Christ's righteousness, It's not the righteousness of a child. This righteousness, the Bible declares, is an imputed righteousness. We're imputed righteous. And so let me say right off here, before we go any further, that you cannot earn righteousness. It is a gift from God. And it's to be enjoyed and had by faith. In fact, in Romans 3, verse 26, Paul asked the question, in view of the nature of God's righteousness that He gives us, this imputed righteousness, he said, where is the, boasting then? You know, men love to boast. uh, God gave us the peacock to show us how strange we are. We like to strut. (laughs) We like to show off. That's why we choose belt buckles and vests and dress and everything and boots we're show offs what we are and he gives us the birds uh, uh, the male is the one that's always a show off you know the female she's the industrious one the male's always strutting well anyway <laughs> and so this is uh, in verse 17 Paul says that out in the gospel is a righteousness. Now righteousness means to be right with God. And the righteousness here is that which is contained in the gospel. Does that tell you where you're going to find this righteousness? It's found on a cross, in a, bar, in a tomb, and in a resurrection. It's found in Christ. Do you begin to see the importance of being in Christ? what it means to be in Christ? That's what Paul said to We Are in Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27. He said, For we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so this is an imputed righteousness. It is to be enjoyed by faith, not by works. How righteous is the man of God? Let's just jump here to the conclusion. How righteous is a man of God? You claim to be a man of God, so do I. A man or a woman of God? How righteous are we? God is righteous. Oh, girl, don't bring that up. I... I i sinned just the other day and I, I try not to, but i sin That's why there was a cross set up in the first place because you couldn't save yourself. And God in His compassion set up that cross. That's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that's the power of God and salvation. Everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein in the gospel it's contained a righteousness from God there's the source of it and that's the gift that comes from God to you and I a righteousness from God and it's to be had on the basis of faith not works in fact Paul will continue with this theme in Romans the 5th chapter verse 1 he will conclude with the word therefore therefore being justified by what? By faith we have peace with God. I want peace with God. I want access, and those two words are used in Romans five one. Therefore, having, uh, having uh, therefore by, well, I'll be. You mean justified by faith, we have peace. Therefore, with God. being justified by faith, we have peace with God and access unto God. But it's by faith. It's not because you become wonderful it's not because you are so clean and so pure and so holy god's the one that'll make you holy and clean but it'll be by your attendance as you walk with him and learn from him and let him lead your life So, how righteous is the man of God? He's just as righteous and pure and just and clean as God is. I didn't see no shock on you guys' face when I said that. Do you feel as righteous as God is? Well, if you're a Christian, you are. Not by your performance, but by your state of being in Christ. It's not by your performance, but your state of being. In 1 John 3 and verse 7, John makes a statement that got my attention years ago. He said, Merle, let no, he didn't say Merle, it's not in the text. (laughs) You understand that. He said, let uh, let no man deceive you. And right away I'm thinking, now why did he say that? Is men going to deceive me? Is the pulpits of the world going to deceive me in preaching what should be the truth and they don't know it? That's right. Let no man deceive you, John says. He that practices righteousness is as righteous as God is. And so let me ask you a question again how righteous is the man of God he's as righteous and pure and just and clean as God is and again that's not by your performance but that's by your state of being in Christ wherein is this righteousness attainable look at it again Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of God and of salvation And the Jew first and also the Greek for therein, wherein in the gospel is contained a righteousness from God, and is to be enjoyed <coughs> on the basis of faith. That's clear as a bell. It is to me, and as you join it with other scriptures that verify it and build upon it, it's clear to see you have nothing to do with your salvation. Oh, but I going to be baptized. No, that's a laying hold on your salvation. Your salvation comes by way of what we read in the uh, beginning in our text in Hebrews 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. John 3 verse 7 again let me clear up the text there because you may be reading in a different translation he that doeth righteousness is as righteous as God is the word doeth there in the Greek is practiseth righteousness I'm not expected to be righteous completely I never will be I'll die with sin in my life It'll not be there by commission. It'll be there by omission. It'll be there because I have fought against it, I've withstood it, but I have my weak moments. But salvation's not a a meritorious thing. And it's true that I have to believe and be baptized. (coughs) Uh, I might illustrate it as a free gift like this. Suppose you got a phone call or a letter tomorrow, telling you that Cadillac garage over there is giving you totally free a new Cadillac. The license has been paid. The taxes have been paid. Everything's been paid. All you got to do is come over and get it. And somebody says, oh, well, if you go over there and get it, that works. No, it isn't. No, it is not. It is merely laying hold on a free gift. That's all it is. In fact, Paul admonished the Corinthians to lay hold on eternal life. And that's where it begins in the baptism. There's the new birth that the Bible talks about. You remember Jesus told Nicodemus in John uh, 3, verse 5, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That talks about the leadership of God's word, the spirit, that guides men to the water where they're baptized for their remission of sins. Isn't that what Peter told the audience in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost? Acts 2, 38. They cried out in verse 37 after being convinced that Jesus was Lord. There was 3,000 of them cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were convicted that they were the murderers of the very Messiah that they waited So anxiously for, and misunderstood his coming. And so Peter told them what they must do. He said, "Repent, be baptized." Verse thirty-eight. Why, for the remission (coughs) of sins? There's where your sins are remitted. There's where you contact the blood that washes away the sins of man. Romans, uh, Revelation one, verse five. And so, in Christ, we stand practicing righteousness. We're not righteous, we're practicing it. You ever see somebody practice the piano? My wife did all of her life, and she's pretty good. She taught people how to play the piano, but she still practiced it. Because if you listen real close, you could find places where she faltered in her performance of playing the piano. Who's that guy that was so famous? Uh, Liberace. Liberace played the piano. Now, you and I probably are not enough of an expert to be able to pick out his mistakes. But he was in the practice of playing the piano. And that's what this word says uh, in uh, 1 John 1, 7. If we... uh, uh, not 1-7, no, I'm sorry. First John 3-7. 3-7. If we practice righteousness, we are as righteous as God is. Boy, that is hard for us to accept because of our pride. You know, we want to earn everything. We're taught in school, we're taught in life's way that everything we have is a matter of our earning it. We deserve it because we earned it. And for God to offer us a free gift, it's kind of hard to take. How can God be right in forgiving our sins? Because you see, at Calvary, there's already paid for Now I want you to realize what the Bible teaches, and I'll put it in my own vernacular. It teaches very clear on every other page, as it were, the fact that... uh, When Christ died at Calvary, He died for the sins of the world. He died for the sin problem. He didn't die for just a few sins over here that's not too bad. He died for the ugliest of sins that you can imagine. He died for all of them. Because He died for the sin problem that existed among men. Romans 3 will tell you that when He stretched out His arms on the cross, it was from eternity... To eternity. It was from the days of Adam and Eve to the end of this world. He paid for those sins. He paid for the sins that's not been committed yet. Now you'll leave this auditorium in a few minutes and you'll go out and find some, and you'll probably be involved somehow, some way, somewhere in sin. A lot of times we're not smart enough to know the definition of sin in our life. But God loves us. We're like little children that don't know. And if we're willing to walk with Him, He'll teach us and He'll lead us and He'll strengthen us and guide us. That's what He wants to do. But we'll be sinners the day we die. But we'll be clean as God is clean. Pure as God is pure. Because we are imputed righteous by God. If we accept his salvation. Peter says it another way. In 1 Peter 5 verse 6. He says humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. To present yourself. As clay. In the master's hand. So that he can shape you and mold you. The value comes in what he shapes you to be. And molds you to be. But it's his work. It's his doing. It's his salvation. It's not yours. In the Old Testament, I hope you're impressed as you read this word glory. Because God repeatedly through the Old Testament in his prophecy of what was coming and has come to you and I by way of the cross. He boasted about that glory that he would share it with no one. And anyone who claims that they're saved because they're just such a goody-goody person is trying to share in God's glory. It won't happen. It makes God angry. The legalist has no hope. He may be a good person, but hell's going to be glutted with a whole bunch of good people. The Romans were, very, uh, excuse me, the Jews were very good people. They were a very sincere people, but there are people that did not listen to God's word. Proof of it: Stephen in Acts seven verse fifty-one. He concluded with it in his sermon with these words to the Jews: "Ye do always resist the Spirit of God, as your fathers did, so do ye." He was talking about the whole history of the Israelite nation. Resist the spirit of God. The word of God. Yeah. And then he proved it to them. He said, just show me one of the prophets that your fathers hadn't killed. They killed every one of them that God sent to them with his word. So they wouldn't endure it. Wouldn't have nothing to do with it. Yet they were a very religious people. Now that seems like a paradox, doesn't it? Because it is. There's people today sitting in congregations much larger than ours around this, right here in the tri-cities and around the world. And they're glorying in a salvation they think they have and they don't because they're like the Jew. Now let me tell you about the Jew. Let Paul tell you about the Jew. Romans 10, 1 and 2. Because in Paul's letter to the Romans, he chapter 9, 10, and 11 speaking specifically of the Jewish problem. And here it is in a nutshell. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Somebody said, You mean to tell me the Jews weren't saved? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, the nation, is that they might be saved. He said, "For I bear them record to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal without knowledge is a fool. I remember a young welder that was very zealous as we went into a refinery to uh, change some of the piping in there in a revision, in a uh, overhaul." And he wanted very desperately to show the employer his dedication. Had a lot of zeal. And he ran in there and was on the process of lighting up an acetylene torch in a refinery where there's gasoline, propane, butane, and all of that. That will blow that place to kingdom come. He had a lot of zeal, but not according to knowledge. Because some of us that were knowledgeable had to run over and shut him down before he blowed all of us to kingdom come. And so the Jews were very zealous, Paul said, but not according to knowledge. And then he explains, for
1: going about to establish their own righteousness, in doing so they rejected the righteousness
0: of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. Do you see the point? You cannot... A legalist can, cannot find inheritance in God's family. A legalist is one who doesn't look back to Calvary for salvation. He looks to the future with the concept that oh, if God just lets me live long enough, I'll be good enough to be saved. That's a legalist. He trusts in himself, not in Christ. He trusts in his performance and not in the blood that was shed at Calvary. It's that blood sacrifice, the gospel. It's God's power to save. That's where salvation is. It's not in you and your ability to be good and do good. It ain't there. It comes by faith. We have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 again. So what kind of a church did God purchase? Well, the song leader talked about it this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 27. It's a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Holy and acceptable, without blemish before God. But it's not that by performance. It's that by God's grace. Now, we've got a few minutes I've already run over, so just relax and realize that we're run over. If you have to run, we'll get up and do it. But we're running over. As we look at... uh, uh, The grace of God is founded and centered in the doctrine of substitution. Now you know what substitution is, don't you? Well, let's look at four verses that talk about it. First of all, let's look at Ephesians (coughs) 2, verse 8-10 and see the nature of God's grace. Paul said, for by grace are you saved. By grace? Well, I thought it was my works. No, it's by grace. It's by God's grace that you're saved. By grace you're saved through your faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Can he give you a gift if he wants to? That's what he does. Well, by grace you're saved through faith, and that, uh, 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 it's a gift of God. Not of your works, lest any man should boast. Oh, we like to boast, don't we? see what I did did Jesus talk about a man boasting yeah he talked about a fella that went out at noon when everybody was eating lunch and walking the streets he chose that time so everybody would see him as he raised his hands to God with a loud voice and he said I thank thee Lord that I'm not well like that sinner over there because I tithe daily and I do this and I do that he was a bragger wasn't he he was putting his trust in his goodness for salvation. And then Jesus told of another fellow right alongside of him that smote his chest and cried out, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said that last man went home justified because salvation is not of works. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8-10 says. For by grace you saved through your faith, And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of your works, lest any man should boast. For we, as he spoke to Christians, we are his workmanship. He done the work, you see, that's what that says. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Yes, we have good works to do. And if you you take on the spirit of God, which Galatians 4 says is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, you take on that spirit, you're going to do good work, aren't you? You're going to love your fellow man. But that does not save you. That's the result of you being saved. Because you're crying out in gratitude for the grace that God has shown to you. Amen. Now let's look at the doctrine Uh Let me mention one more thing, and then we'll move on here uh, to the end of our lesson. But uh, the nature of law. I've heard men all my life in these lunchrooms that I worked in, uh, these jobs I worked on in construction. I've heard them on many occasions say, well, I think as long as a man does the law, he's okay. The law can't save you. The law condemns, that's its nature. I don't care whether you're talking about the law of Benton city, the law of the U.S. government, the law of Russia, the law of China, I don't, you name the law. Law by nature condemns, that's its job. It has no provisional clause written within it to justify the violator. And that's what the scriptures teach all the way through. The law was said to condemn. It condemned the Jews the whole nation. Read Romans 3. And verse 7 and verse 9. And Paul will tell you. That there <coughs> never was a man justified by law. Not one. Yet they were under a law. Why did God give the law? Well Romans 3 will tell you about it. Verse 19. That every mouth may be stopped. That Number 2. That the whole world may become guilty before God. And number 3. Verse 20. In verse 20 it says therefore by the deeds of the law by doing the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. Well The Old Testament prophesied of this grace of God that would come to us by way of a cross. In Zechariah, the 13th chapter, you can go home and read it. Verse 1. He begins talking about a fountain poured out for the cleansing of the nations. That fountain you can find is the blood of Christ because when you get down to verse 7, the word and the will of the Lord broke the silence of that day with a never-to-be-forgotten cry. Awake, old sword, against my shepherd." Against the one that is my fellow, saith Jehovah of Hosts, Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Do you know that we wouldn't have a clue what that was saying? Unless, and Jesus did. He explained it to us in the Gospels. As he stood before Calvary's cross, he made that statement in view of that cross. He said that there at the cross is where God unsheathed his sword of justice. And that sword drank its fill and, and quenched its wrath and satisfied itself in the blood of God's own Son for the sin problem. So you see, sins have been paid for.
1: Every sin that man has ever committed or ever will be committed, has been paid for. But you will not realize
0: it unless you lay hold on eternal salvation and walk with God. 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light as he's in the light we have fellowship with God and the blood of his son continually day after day in every way cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What a profound salvation God has prepared for you and I. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 that verse says that he took our sin and he gave us his righteous performance that's what it says I'm not going to turn over there we don't have time he took our sin, there's the doctrine of substitution here I am a sinner and here the Lord is in his uh, divinity and his righteousness and he swapped places with me and he died for my sin in my place. And he gave me his performance. His righteous performance. Where's boasting in all that? Who can boast in that? Look what how good I am, boy, howdy. There is no boasting in the doctrine of substitution. Galatians 3, verse 10 through 14. I hope you're writing these down and go home and look at them. Because it declares that He took our curse and gave us His blessedness. He took our curse. Yeah. Well, where's me and all of that? Me is the recipient of God's grace. Me is the one who has obeyed the gospel, and because of it, is imputed right, <laughs> not by performance, but by state of being in Christ. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Do you know why there's no condemnation? Well Paul will tell you where the condemnation come in verse 2 and verse 3. He says for the law of life administered by the Spirit set me free from the law that said if I sin I die. There's two laws spoken of there. The law of sin and death and the law of righteousness that's administered by the Spirit of God. And this law set me free from that law. I'm not answerable to law before God. That's what this says. Galatians third chapter will tell you that the law. Why did God send it? Well, we seen a while ago to condemn the whole world, that the whole world may become guilty before him. Uh He didn't intend for any flesh ever to be saved by law keeping. There never was a Jew saved by law. But he sent the law for those reasons. And, uh, and, well, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Uh, But he took our curse and gave us his blessedness. One other passage I want you to get down 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, because it says that he took our poverty and gave us his riches. Now let me run through them three doctrines of them three that teach the doctrine of substitution again. He took our sin and gave us his righteous performance. He took our curse and gave us his blessedness. He took our poverty and gave us his righteousness. It was foreannounced by Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And I want you just to notice the highlights of that chapter before we quit. Here is the presentation of the divine suffering for mankind. Verse 4. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. That's verse 4. Verse 5. He was wounded. You notice the he here? Speaking of Christ. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted because of you and me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, you and me are healed. Doctrine of substitution. Jehovah, verse 6, Jehovah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, He was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Verse 10. It pleased Jehovah to bruise him and to make his soul an offering for sin, for the sin problem. And so by the knowledge of himself shall my righteous uh, servant justify many And he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 11. Verse 12. He poured out his soul unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bare the sins of many. And he made intercession for the transgressions. Isaiah the 53rd chapter. The divine suffering for mankind. The offering of God for you and I the love of God that reached beyond our capability to understand and appreciate, the love of God that reached down to those who were lost in sin. He's the only one that can straighten your life up, and why men won't give their life to him is beyond me. He came declaring that he was the giver of life and the light of men. Man truly is his own worst enemy because he'll go to his damnation realizing like the rich man that he could have made a change. The rich man that Jesus told about that went to hell, he didn't make an argument how he was unjustly treated. He knew that he deserved exactly what he got. And he pleaded with Father Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers. Because he said, i got five brothers that's headed to this same place. You see, he knew his brothers. He knew they were following his example. Well, the lesson's yours. Uh, Let me close with one thought. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is an undeserved gift. And yet salvation is a demanding gift. Not in the price of the gift, but in the thanksgiving of the gift. As Paul said, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Your imputed righteousness because of your faith. Isn't that something? And look how we've missed it. Look how the world has missed it. The Baptist, the Methodist, the Presbyterian, and the different denominations out here, this morning are preaching a doctrine of works and merit for salvation. Oh, I wish there was something we could do about it, but all we can do is continue to reach out. And they just continue to keep slapping our hands away. They don't want nothing to do with God. They want to be saved the way they want to be saved. With their pride and their arrogance. Look what I did. They're like the Pharisee. I tithe daily. And I do this. And I, I, Lord, I'm bragging. I want you to know uh, I'm good because of me. Not because of you. That's throwing dirt in God's face, you know. The lesson's yours while we stand. saving our clothing and things. So... And we didn't get half through the lesson, but that's our time for this morning. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. Day. day, I will never forget, after I
1: All right. family divine. Were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory
0: filled my soul. So, this is the first Sunday of the month and the year, so we're going to have a singing tonight. The congregation, uh, we encourage everyone to come and be a part of that. It's nice when we all come together and continue. Our worship to God in that manner. So, um, um, 6 o'clock tonight, we'll have a singing. And you men that wish to, come up here and help lead that service. If you would rather, you can um, help give us songs and we can we can sing them together. So, be a part of that, please. do you bow
1: with me? Father in heaven, I'm thankful for your for your uh, your opportunity to allow us to come here and, and learn of your your grace and your and the gift that we have down here as Christians. I pray that anyone that is willing and has that change of heart to change their in their old ways and uh, turn towards you and become another one of your children. That they do so and that we welcome in with open arms. I uh, pray that the songs that we sang here today We're uplifting to you and every one of us here. And I pray that as we go out into this week that we take what was said to heart. We live as Christians outside of the church and not just on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. I pray that we be sober minded and have sober thoughts through the week and not be constantly joking around, as it were. Um, the word escapes me. But as always, I'm so thankful for what Your Son Jesus Christ did. I pray that we're all thankful for what He did and never forget that sacrifice that He made. So be with us. Be with us as we depart, and it's in His name. His name I pray. Amen. 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 I uh, my mom. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I can get some dessert. Let's go. Huh? Thank you. My father actually got it for Christmas for her for my uncle. Oh, no. for for she, free. Free. I had to buy her right so um, a <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or she would have just ended up getting it my sister. <laughs> oh, I see. Or, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But anyways yeah. now she yeah. has one too. Okay. <laughs>